Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Friday morning, the 3rd of March. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The Taoiseach, Leo Vradker, says he wants electricity bills to come down and that the government might do something more to help people afford their bills next winter. Yesterday, my colleague, Deputy Johnny Gork, raised the case of Kitty. She's from Trimman County Mead. I'm sure you've heard her story now. She's over 100 years old and she received an electricity bill of nearly €1,000 for the last two months of electricity. Kitty, like so many others, are being absolutely fleeced. Yesterday I got an email from a woman, Christina. She works part-time. She earns about €250 a week at the best, best of weeks. Her bill has gone up and up and up. She just sent us a message saying, can't cope, please help. It was €622. For, that's how much they were asking her to pay for the last two months. And there's many, many other people like the Kitties and Christina's out there. That's Sinn Féin's Pierce Doherty speaking in the doll about Kitty's bill and Christina's bill. And let's not forget Jerry Clark, who told us about his bill yesterday for €1,678.65. Tonished your government made a decision last month not to provide any further meaningful supports in terms of energy costs. Energy that is consumed next month and the month after will not be supported by government. Households are continuing to pay extortionate bills. They're being absolutely fleeced and they feel that they're being shortchanged by a government who won't introduce the t- same type of certainty that is available in many countries across Europe. So will I ask you, can I ask you on behalf of Kitty, Christina and many like them, will you change course and provide support right. for these Honest families in terms of their electricity bills? And that's uh, Pierce Doherty. So we've got Kitty, we've got Christina, we've got Jerry, uh, and we now have Michael Darcy, who writes to the Irish Times today about Kitty. He says, I've great sympathy for the 100-year-old lady who got an electricity bill for €957 for a two-month period. I am only 90, but my latest two-month bill, uh, gas bill from Electric Ireland is for €1,642 and it gave me a nasty shock. My previous two-month bill was €640. I'm thinking of turning myself into a corporate entity as the private citizen is uh, denied uh, the advantages which Electric Ireland planned to pass on to the business sector. The only consolation I derive from ultimately paying this exorbitant 
demand is that the government from its windfall tax will have something to distribute to struggling pensioners who like to keep warm and enjoy the odd cup of tea as I say that's Michael Darcy uh, who wrote to the Irish Times today and as you know these whopping bills have been brought to her attention by local Sinn Féin TD Johnny Gurk who's on the line and a very good morning to you Johnny Gurk and thanks uh, for joining us it doesn't end there because you bring us news today of the biggest bill yet Uh, tell us uh, what what Shane Fulham in that boy is being asked to pay? Uh, it's uh, 2200 um, Michael, and um, I, I, I spoke to them uh, yesterday, and uh, they, they're trying to contact Electric Ireland for the last um, couple of weeks, and they can get no response. So what they had to do, Michael, was um, go down and cancel the direct debit, or otherwise they wouldn't have been able to pay the mortgage and pay the other bills that's coming through the house every day. €2,285.65. Uh, what are they doing in their house? Well, uh, most people I've been talking to um, have have done nothing different than they have for the two months before, and everybody is saying, "Could it be a fault? Could it be a fault in the in, with the electric?" Well, it it's, can't be a fault in every house, you know. So. Um, the people I'm talking to have done nothing different, probably maybe used it a little bit more um, over over the months of December and January, which would be the coldest months of the year, but even doubled their bills. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, these bills have quadrupled, um, gone up six, seven times uh, what they were for the two previous months. Do they have to pay it? Well, um, in most cases... Uh, I, I don't think a lot of these people will be able to pay these bills. Um, a lot of the people I've been talking to won't be able to pay these bills. You, you, you can go back to Kitty there. They've told her that they put her on a 10-week payment plan to pay um, 90, euros, um, 90 euros a week for the next 10 weeks. Kitty's income is 200 euros a week. Uh, and, and just uh, t- bear in mind that she's saving the state a fortune by living at home where her nephew is taking care of her and, and she's not in a nursing home where it costs five, 6000 a week mm. uh, to take care of her. OK, so she could pay, what, €90 Euro a week for 10 weeks. Uh, but what does she do for the 10 weeks? Leave the electricity off? Because uh, undoubtedly she's going to get another bill for a €1,000 at the end of the 10 weeks, a, a two-month billing period. Well, isn't it, isn't it an outrageous way to treat uh, old and vulnerable people? Like you know, and the only thing that will work for old and vulnerable people is is a set rate for for electricity. We 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 know that the um, the government have been asked, uh, a government all across Europe have been doing a regulating cap electricity prices. They've done it in Germany, in France, Netherlands, Poland, and elsewhere. Uh, and that's the only thing that will work for old and vulnerable people. And there's other people, um, you know, using medical devices where they're plugging them in have to be plugged in very regular at at night and things like that and they're under enormous pressure as well you know all right well you raise 100 year old kitty's thousand euro bill in the doll yesterday uh the day before and you also raised uh jerry's bill uh of 1600 uh, euro uh, maybe we can hear what uh, the taoiseach uh, had to say to you about those two bills thanks deputy I, I i've i've had the same experience as you have and have met many people in my constituency who uh, have been really shocked by uh, some of the utility bills that have landed uh, in their ladder box in the last couple of weeks. Um, these are the winter bills. They're extremely high. Uh, unfortunately, there's another um, one on the way. The government is acting. We've extended the 9% VAT rate on electricity and gas until the end of October. Uh, there's another €200 Euro energy credit on the way. And, of course, we've done uh, targeted uh, welfare payments to increase pensions, uh, increase the fuel allowance, eligibility for the fuel allowance, among other actions, and we're not going to stop here. 
and the next step is the introduction of a windfall tax uh, so that we can take uh, back some of the profits of the energy companies and give them back to people to help them with their bills. Right. Now, if you take uh, Shane Fulham in at Boy, if uh, they get a, a similar bill next time round, uh, which would be in May, uh, I think, uh, of over €2,200, that 200 credit will bring it down to €2,000 and add that on to the 2285 that's already been charged. Uh, and at that stage, then, they'll have to pay uh, over €4,000 uh, for their electricity. €4,200. Uh, do, do you think that the government could do more than that? They have to do more. Um, this this energy credit is is no good. That uh, Kitty's bill there was already included the the energy credit of of two hundred euro. Unless you have these prices capped, it's not going to work for older and vulnerable people. And and these energy companies that came in last week with a ten percent discount for business, which is welcome. But what about these people that we're talking about today? We, and, and we know that a wholesale price of energy has dropped in the last number of months. And it's outrageous that the energy companies are not passing on these reductions in full to these these people these people and I, yesterday I called it a cost of living crisis and there was a couple of people on to me and said that's not a cost of living crisis that's greed you know and, and that's the way they, don't be calling it a cost of living crisis they, they said to me that's greed mm. you know on behalf of these companies you know well it's not just the companies because when uh, you get charged more for your electricity uh, the government raises more in taxes uh, and there's a very interesting statistic uh, this morning uh, on VAT uh, because VAT is up €700 million euro, uh, on the same period last year. Uh, and uh, this is to do with I- inflation. Uh, so uh, we're talking uh, about €4 billion, uh, being uh, generated in taxes in the first two months of this year. Uh, should that 700 million go back to help people with their energy bills now? Because the Taoiseach was on the telly last night and he was talking uh, about uh, more help, but not until next winter. Yeah. A lot of these people can't wait till next winter. And that's a very, very good point you raised there. Um, the two bills that I'm talking about, Kitties and Jerry's, the VAT on those two bills alone was €218. Euro. You know, uh, so they, they're giving it with one hand, taking it back with the other, you know, your €200 uh, euro energy credit. And, the, and the, the, the VAT on those two bills alone uh, was... Um, uh, €218, Euro, you know, and, and then you talk about the windfall tax. Well, the windfall tax is no good to older and vulnerable people because they, 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 they are not getting it taken off their bills straight away. It's it's paid to the government and then the government give it back in a bit of a subsidy. So it's not the same. These people are still expected to pay these bills in full before uh, any windfall tax is given back to them or anything like that. OK. Um Pierce Doherty, as we heard at the start of the programme, uh, raised the issue again um, with uh, the government on foot of uh, the two bills uh, that you brought uh, into the chamber with you on Wednesday. Uh, we can hear uh, the response to Pierce Doherty now from the Tonish. This is what Michal Martin had to say. No, I think if I... Bear with me for one second. This is what Michal Martin had to say. I think to be fair, Deputy, and there's no doubt about the impact of the energy crisis on people's bills and the challenges that it presents. But there will be an energy credit um, in March, April period um, of the 200 euros. But also you have the um, the, the, the various work, uh, the free fuel allowance that we introduced and, and, and doubling it and so on, and the various payments. And we have an additional payment now for pensioners um, in particular, over and above the energy credit that will come, uh, there'll be a payment uh, in, in, in April of, of, for 200. Uh, so, when you look at the overall, um, I think about three and a half percent of GNI, basically over nine billion and a half billion plus the measures that we took last week, have been 
allocated to households. Uh, that's about um, that's a four and a half thousand potentially per household on average. Uh, so I think it's probably one of the largest government interventions in the energy crisis across Europe. Uh, and like per, per capita. Thank you, Tony. Uh, please, deputy. No, and no one, ha but no please, one has to deputy. turn off the lights, deputy. You know that the codes. No, uh, no one. No one would be. No one in, We're out of time. Please, no one in those deputy, situations will be disconnected. You know that. So let's not put sorry, fear among people sorry, unnecessarily. Deputy. All right. What do you make of uh, that, Johnny Gurk? Uh, Michal Martin saying. Kitty doesn't have to turn off the lights. Pierce Artie was asking him directly about Kitty. He said, no, she doesn't have to turn off the lights because nobody will be disconnected. Well, that's welcome to hear. But I know, and, 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 and you know from listeners to the people, that uh, these people are not going to be able to pay these bills. So what is the outcome? Uh, there, there's no way um, you take... We'll go back to Kitty again. Like She, she earned... Uh, uh, to eight weeks of social, uh, her pension, uh, €1,600. Euros. Her electricity bill was 1000 So she's expected to live, feed herself and everything on 70 or €75 Euros a week uh, for, for them eight weeks. Uh, it's not doable. It's not doable for the people in Apai that we talked about that um, had to cancel direct debit. And that's not the only person. Several people have told me that they have cancelled the direct debit because uh, they can't... And these are people that had never had a problem paying their bills or anything. Uh, but... Uh, Electric Ireland won't engage with them and uh, are not calling them back. So the mm. government needs to do a, a lot more. You need an energy cap on electricity and it's the only way that is going to help these people because um, other than that, and, and, and you know that a lot of these bills, even in summertime, they could be nearly as high as they are in October and November and them kind of months, you know. Yeah, but are, are these exceptionally high? Uh, we've uh, Kitty uh, with uh, about a thousand euro uh, Jerry then with the 1600 bill uh, Michael Darcy who wrote uh, the newspaper today with 1600 euro Shane Fulham with 2285 euro 65 cent uh, are, are people generally being asked to pay as much as those they're, they're, this is happening all over the country uh, I didn't realise it until I brought it up in the doll I knew it was a big issue but I didn't realise the, the, the reaction right across the country that I would get from people calling me they were sending me um, emails from Cork um, telling me about their bills and telling me um, about Electric Ireland not engaging with them and, and um, not getting back to them this is this is countrywide it's not it's not a couple it's, it's thousands uh, and thousands I would say um, that are getting bills that big uh, 600, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 and more. Yeah, right across the country. And we're getting um, a, a pile of um, phone calls and emails about it yesterday. And I could I could go on and on about um, the different people that I told you before there that okay. have uh, cancelled the direct debit. Because, you, 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 um, yeah, you might be right. We're getting uh, some messages. One that uh, sticks out here that I'm looking at. Uh, my parents in their 80s have no central heating. They have a gas cooker. Two we electric oil heaters, their ESB bill with the discounts is one thousand six hundred and eighty eight euro. Unbelievable. Don't know how they're going to actually pay this, our caller says. Yeah, and, and and we're hearing that story all the time, uh, um, right right across the country. One after the other has 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 the same story, and it. it I, I don't know um, what's going to happen because, it, like these people are not going to be able to pay these bills. That's a fact, you know. So if 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 the tarnisher comes out and says um, that they will not be cut off with their electricity, well, that's 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 good. But are they still going to expect this money uh, down the road? Um, because these people are having the money to give it to them. 
Right. Uh, Stephen Andrahada says, ever since I got a, a top-up meter installed and paying €70 Euro a week for a small bedsit, before that I was paying €30 a week. Uh, I'm with prepaid power and they dropped their rates by 42 cents. But in saying all this, everyone is being ripped off and they don't care about it. Uh, we're getting some feedback. There's a, a lot of messages coming in and we'll get through all of the messages uh, throughout the day. But there uh, undoubtedly uh, is a problem uh, and undoubtedly there's concern, but probably a lot more than concern, probably anxiety, because I think most people like to pay their bills and they feel obligated to pay their bills, but they're scratching their heads now saying, uh, how am I going to pay the bill? Yeah, especially uh, older and vulnerable people who always pay their bills and have, you know, lived all their life by um, keeping enough money to one side to pay these bills. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they said uh, when the, the like a kitty was growing up, like she would have bought a farm of land uh, for her two month uh, electricity bill now, you know, and that's the reality. You can imagine when somebody like that opens that bill, like, and, uh, you know, that's just um, taking years off these people's lives and it's not fair and it's not right. Nice. And the government need to bring these energy companies in and hold them to account and do something about it. Okay, somebody else uh, in touch saying uh, that they live in a, a bungalow. Uh, a woman texting us, uh, she says herself and her husband live in a bungalow and our bills are always around 100 to 150. Something is wrong here uh, and she's wondering uh, if uh, it's wastage. But we've been looking at Kitty's bill today and her previous bill, Jerry's bill and his previous bill. Here's one for you uh, from Kevin. Kevin's texting us and he says, Michael, my bill was €1,057 compared to €284 last year. Uh, And Kevin, by the way, is on disability allowance. Yeah, there you go. And, and you know, um, as I said earlier, um, a lot of these people um, living at home are saving the state a fortune. And now when they need a bit of help, it's time for the state to step in and give them that bit of help and, and you know, not, not be crucifying them and, and, and letting these energy companies crucify them who are making, as you know yourself, has been said on your programme every day, they're making eye-watering profits like on the back mm. of um, vulnerable, older, vulnerable people. Uh, right? And the government raising €700 million Euro in addition VAT take because of inflation, which wouldn't be just down to energy inflation, but generally speaking, it's up 700 million euro on the deal and there's money there available, I suppose, if you choose to spend it or not. Yeah, it's not us saying it. Um, it's 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 everybody. It's in Vincent de Paul. It's Focus Ireland. It's all these groups that's dealing with these people, you know. And as I said to you earlier, like the, you know, the two bills, the, just the two bills I was talking about, there's two hundred and eighteen euro VAT on those two bills. So they're they're automatically getting their rebate nearly back on those two bills alone, you know. So they they have room to do this. Mm. They, they they need the will to do it. Well, mm. there's nearly two hundred euro on that one bill that we mentioned earlier on. Um, that two thousand two hundred eighty five euro sixty five. Uh, this is uh, what Shane Fulham was greeted with when he opened the envelope in his house in Athboy. The VAT on that is €188.73. So that, that, there you go. That, that's his, his €200 Euro electricity credit um, gone straight away. They're not even giving it to you. They're taking it back. And that's back, it. You know, so. Giving it with one hand, taking it back with the other. If ever there was a good example of that, uh, Shane Fulham is looking at that uh, on his Electric Ireland build this morning. Yeah, but isn't it very sad that, you know, in this day and age, in a rich country where we can't look after uh, people in their 70s, 80s and 90s, you know, uh, and, and, and lots of money to do it, 
uh, if the will is there, you know, and between the energy companies and the government, they have to do more, they have to help these people, uh, you know, and, and instead of taking years off their life and putting them into an early grave. Okay, Johnny, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. That's Sinn Féin TD for Meath West, Johnny Gurk. Michael Reed on LMFM. As you've been hearing on LMFM's news, 2,717 people who are hoping to take uh, their driving test in Drogheda will now have to take their tests in Dundalk because the temporary test centre in Drogheda is to close. The Road Safety Authority says it couldn't come to an agreement with the residents in Marion Park. It's an issue that was raised in the Dáil yesterday. The biggest town in Ireland, population poaching, 50,000 will not have a test centre, despite the fact that the RSA decided six, seven years ago to have a permanent centre in Drada. They're blaming residents in a, in, a, in a state in Drada for the closure, and that's not good enough. The RSA have been offered by myself and Councillor Paddy McQuillan and others numerous centres which would be suitable. And if there can be in Burr County Hotel, in JA Golf Clubs up and down the country, if Mallow Racecourse can have one, one in the name of God can't draw to have one. Tonish, I urge you to intervene and insist that the Road Safety Authority honour their pledge to have a permanent site in Drada because on Monday, 2,717 people who have applied for tests will not be able to do them in the largest town in Ireland. They have to go to a town or a place they Thank don't you, know Deputy and never Dale. drive in. It's not good enough, Tarnish. Thank you. We need your intervention. appreciate the deputies uh, raising this issue with me. I'll talk to Minister Chambers in respect of it and see what we can do to get um, the situation resolved. Get the situation resolved. Uh, that's Tonish to Micheál Martin responding to Fergus O'Dowd from the Gael TD for Louth who's on the line with us uh, this morning. Uh, Jed Nash, Labour TD for Louth in studio with us and good morning to both of you. Fergus O'Dowd, what do you think that Tonish meant when he said he'd see what could be done to get this resolved? Well, I gave him prior notice on my question, Michael, uh, and I sent him a summary of what the situation was and I'm happy, obviously, uh, to meet with Minister Chambers to push the issue forward. But the reality is that a number of us, and not just me, and I'm sure Jed, I know Paddy McQuillan and the other people, have put forward uh, potential sites to, to the Road Safety Authority. I've met with them on a number of occasions. I've got promises from them that they are definitely committed to a permanent site. They tell me they have a possible two sites now, but it will take planning and it will take time uh, to, you know, to, to operate them. So, I, my honest belief is that they, you know, that that they were absolutely determined to sort one out before the year that they got in Marion Park uh, ended. So, like mm. I, you know, but I've I've had obviously difficult conversations with them. Uh, I've argued with them. I've explained. Uh, I compared Drogheda. You see, what they were saying to me yesterday was that Drogheda is a very difficult town for traffic. And it is, I said, of course it is. Mm. And that sites that they that they would like to use are in areas which are, you know, very heavily trafficked. Yeah. So I asked them three months ago, Michael, to give me a list of the driving routes that they wanted to use. That's the testers. And uh, they never gave them to me. And I said, if you give us those sites, uh, we can find places near them that will be suitable. Right. But okay. they haven't done that. Now, they promised to do that yesterday when I spoke to the Chief Operations Officer. So I'm just very concerned. Mm. I got a call last night uh, from Peter Moore from the Uralis and they've offered once again uh, their site on the North Road to the Road Safety Authority, 
for immediate occupation uh, and the issue there is the planning issue with Loud County Council. Mm. Now, that was shot down before. but So no matter what we've come up with, it's been shot down. So okay. if they give us the route, well, we will find the location. As you say, there's nearly 3,000 people who are in a right old dilemma. And the traffic in the town, in any town where you're going to do the driving test, is the most important part of the test from the person who's being tested. Jed Nash, I'm sure you remember back to when you were doing your test, uh, you'd have driven the route. Uh, and if you were due to do your test in Drogheda on Monday, uh, you'd have prepared for it. Uh, but if you have to do it now in Dundalk, in a town that you've never driven in, uh, that's really a big ask, isn't it? That, that, that's right. And uh, there are extra costs involved as well for uh, people who may decide that they want at the last minute to get the support of an an approved driving instructor to go through the route in Dundalk uh, or in Navin. Um, This whole saga has been an absolute shambles, uh, Michael, uh, and uh, my confidence in the RSA has been extremely rocked, quite frankly. Um, It's been shambolic over the last few weeks, quite frankly. Um, To give you a sense of um, the work I've been doing in this um, since we first became aware that the lease would end um, in early March. Uh, Last uh, April, uh, I met with the uh, RSA um, and there were concerns expressed by residents, a number of residents in Marion Park about the um, additional traffic that the centre was generating and about related issues in relation to the operation of the temporary centre in Marion Park. And the RSA driving instructors or anybody else would never overclaim that Marion Park was an ideal situation, but Drogheda needed a test centre. I proposed, as, as Fergus did, a number of different options, and I'm happy to name them, a number of local GEA clubs, some industrial units in town, and each time we propose those um, alternatives um, that may be identified as possible temporary locations, until such time as a permanent location was identified, it was shot down rather irrationally. We were never given any cre- given any credible explanations as to why, and that's why my confidence in RSA and their commitment to Drogheda, I'm sceptical about, yeah. quite frankly, especially over the last few weeks. And I'll tell you why. In April, I engaged with RSA to, uh, to, to organise to meet with residents um, of Marion Park, uh, over the last period of time, um, I was, as I say, proposing a number of different alternative locations. I was liaising as well with Drogheda Town Football Club, uh, a representative of the club, to try to resolve issues. I proposed at a meeting with the RSA in the D Hotel on the 2nd of February a number of conditions that might be attached to the extension of that of that lease to try to address some of the concerns of residents. Residents, by the way, never been scapegoated mm-hmm. uh, by the RSA because yeah. those issues, th- those ma- matters could have been addressed. Yeah. Well, the I RSA proposed, for example, clear that they couldn't come to I, an agreement I, 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 with I the residents and there's they, a, an they, implication they, in the RSA statement that they, the residents are being unreasonable. They, 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 had also, they had also suggested that they would enter into negotiation. One meeting does not constitute uh, a negotiation uh, and I, I would have been confident that once those conditions were attached and a couple of other issues were addressed, that there would have been no issue in, um, in, in extending uh, the you know re- remit of that centre for a period of time. That, the resi- that you mean the residents would have been okay with that? I'll tell you, I, I, I think we were in a process. We were in a process, okay. uh, and I don't believe. I think the RSA had already made their minds up, and I say that too because close. to 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 not have a centre and draw in the interim period. And I'll tell you why I believe that as well. Uh, and some people might not want to hear this, but at that meeting uh, in the D Hotel, uh, I was given a written commitment on the first of December that the RSA had identified a greenfield site for a permanent testing centre in Drogheda. Uh, 
At that meeting on the 2nd of February, I was blindsided by the RSA and I was told, well, in fact, that may not be the case. Uh, there are some issues potentially with that site around planning, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, and I was only told that at that meeting, uh, not between the 1st of December or not between the 2nd of February. So that led me to be very sceptical about the RSA's overall mm. commitment uh, to uh, Drogheda. I want to see a permanent driving test centre in Drogheda, a town the size and the mm. scale with the number of people who are seeking tests. Any so thoughts? Uh, any thoughts? A I mean, test I mean, I mean the, the charge you're making is they don't want to have a test centre here. Uh, why? Um, I, I have I have um, certain views on why uh, they made investments, significant investments in testing centres across this region. Uh, they may not be operating at full capacity. Uh, I believe they have to justify that expenditure. Okay, so this and is I a commercial decision. I don't believe I don't believe that uh, they are going to. Uh, in the short to medium term, develop right. the major permanent okay. testing centre okay. we need in Drogheda. Okay. Well, uh, and, and one of the factors feeding into that is that reason. Okay, we're going to have to put that point to the RSA in writing uh, because we invited the RSA to discuss this with, uh, on the programme today uh, and they declined our invitation. Uh, Fergus O'Dowd, would you concur with that? Uh, I concur with this point. That I mean, the point I want to make, there are 41 driving tests centres in the country, 41. Yeah. So towns like Skibbereen and Mallow and all sorts of smaller towns, fine as they are, they all have their test centre. A debate I had yesterday with the Road Safety Authority, and I saved the man his embarrassment by not saying his name. I, I, he was saying the traffic was too heavy in Drogheda to have a, an appropriate test in it. And I said, well, Drogheda is, is not, it's just the same as Kilkenny. Kilkenny is a medieval town. It's one-way systems. It's narrow streets. But you're learning exactly to drive. You're, you're, you're learning to... Yeah, so, but I mean, I, yeah, I'm just, I'm just emphasizing your point. The, the, point, I, yeah. the point, Michael, the point I'm trying to make yeah. is that Kilkenny has two driving test centres, yeah. not one, two... Yeah, but uh, I mean, if you're learning to drive, if the test is of any benefit to you, you should be able to drive in the busiest of traffic. I mean, that's the point. But do you, do you, what do you make of, of Jed Nash's point that he believes that the reason for this decision being made is that it's not commercially uh, in the interest uh, of the RSA, that uh, they'll make more money, whether it's commercially viable or not? Well, I mean, the first thing is that the locations are not a commercial operation. In the, they're a service. So, in other words, they're there to serve the people in the area. The second point is that Drogheda is, is huge. There's a huge number of people, almost 3,000 people. So there's no commercial issue in having a test so you, you, you don't agree, Drogheda. though, with what Jed Nash is saying, no, that well, they've well, invested the elsewhere in the waiting time, capital investment. The, 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 waiting time in Navin, the waiting time in Navin is... Uh, three months, the waiting time in Dundalk is three months, the waiting time in Monaghan is two months, the waiting time in Drogheda was November of this year, mm. uh, so that there's a huge issue here. Now, I, I, I test all those issues obviously with the Road Safety Authority and that's what I'm doing mm. at the moment. But the most important thing is, and they assured me again, doubts as I have about their intentions, but they did assure me again yesterday that they that they were committed to it and that's why I think the political intervention now of Jed, myself, and all the TDs uh, uh, is hugely important okay. now to force this issue. Jed, um, um, I, 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 I've spent an inordinate amount of time on this since last April um, with the RSA, with others, uh, trying to identify other sites, and laterally with the club as well to try to broker a solution. I've invested a huge amount of time in this. Seeing this up front, 
um, I'm, I think, legitimately sceptical uh, and dubious about what's going to happen over the next period of time. And notwithstanding what the teacher might have said yesterday, that's a standard response on um, the, that, that piece of dull business where a deputy would raise an issue and it would be referred to the relevant minister. I don't think um, Jesus Christ himself um, would uh, actually be able to persuade the RSA to either extend the central Andromeda over a short period of time or convince them to actually develop a site in in the short term. It's one excuse after another. It's no longer acceptable, quite frankly. Mm. We've given the RSA well, the space they, here they today need. To explain it? And could I say this? Mm. Uh, given that I was, I, I gave my time yeah. over the last uh, couple of months to try to broker a resolution of this and identify alternatives, mm. I did not find it acceptable that the, the RSA essentially point blank refused to, to engage constructively with me over the last two weeks. Mm. That told me that they had a decision made already and nobody would disabuse me. Regardless of conversations I had with RSA officials yesterday who tell us that they're still committed to Drogheda, I'm extremely sceptical and I believe I'm justified in being sceptical about that. It is peculiar, isn't it, that the RSA issues a statement on a Thursday saying there'll be no more tests. A few hours before the lease expires. But for those waiting to sit a, a test, there'll be no more tests from Monday onwards. Uh, and that they're not available to explain why to the local radio station. Or indeed to uh, um, uh, work with those who have actually been trying to work with them to resolve this issue over the last couple of weeks. As I said, I have effectively been been sidelined um, by the RSA. Uh, I'm an opposition deputy um, from what's a smaller party than Mm -hmm. it used to be. I could decide to criticise Fergus or criticise government. I'm not going to do that because I try to provide practical practical, um, you know, constructive solutions to the problems that all of our constituents face. Uh, but the experience over the last period of time, what I was saying, nobody will disabuse me and no one will convince me otherwise mm. that there is no, not a long-term commitment to trying to resolve this issue for Drada. I believe they've made significant investments. They're potentially as well looking at budgets at this point in time yeah. as construction inflation becomes a, a bigger factor saying we will settle for what we have okay. uh, and we're not going to make any significant can, investments fer- fer- that's, my, that's my own view fer- now, okay. I would say to okay. be fair yeah, to them yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll say we are committed, committed to the area but I, 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 I'm yet to see the evidence of okay, that Okay Fergus do you want to come back in there? The, the proposal initially on the O'Reilly side for us for I think about three three prefabricated uh, structures uh, they were fit that, you know, they could put in overnight there's no huge cost in okay. that Uh, But they're not, they're not. Do you think it's acceptable, Uh, and I just want to conclude uh, on this point because I think uh, it's clear from Jed Nash what he he thinks is acceptable and what is not, but do you think that it is acceptable that the RSA issues a written statement to media on a a Thursday evening announcing that the the service will close on a a Monday uh, and blames the residents in that statement uh, and is not available to comment on it or to explain the rationale behind the decision. That's entirely unacceptable, Michael. And I I thought my position was clear on that yesterday in the Dáil and it's clear now. But my focus has to be on getting a solution. And the solution is to get back to them today with further and other proposals, the solution is for them to share with me, and I've met with the driving instructors, and they're very aggravated with all of this, and we will all try and find a location that will be suitable. Uh, But you see, they won't share the routes with us. That's the problem. So in other words, if they share the routes, we can find a building or a site that would be suitable. Mm. But they've refused to do that. And my point again was, when they were saying that Drada was bad, 
Well, I said Kilkenny is just as bad in terms of inverted commas traffic. Yeah. And they have two driving tests. D- Dublin's, Dublin's not <laughs> great right, either, or Cork, or Limerick, or if an organisation yeah. doesn't or Rome. share, <laughs> if an organisation doesn't share those kinds of yeah. variables, oh, uh, I don't to, know. To, uh, to, you, know, you need the ingredients to make the cake. Uh, 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 how would uh, anybody uh, ever learn to drive in Rome? But, 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 but if, <laughs> I don't know how they drive in Rome but anyway. But, but you it, know. Got, it goes back yeah. to this rational. Yeah. Uh, I think Fergus will agree. Uh, this irrational reason mm. provided by the RSA a couple of years ago as to why they wouldn't accept the site that was offered to them mm. by the local authority in Mel beside the recycling centre. You'll recall re- the reason why when we finally understood what the reason was when they finally communicated it to us because there was a ramp in clo- close proximity to the centre. We all That's encounter right. a ramp when we're driving. Okay. And my we, we, ramps as okay. well. All right. I have to leave it there. Thanks to both of you though for talking to us uh, today. Fergus O'Dowd, Fine Gael TD in Louth on the phone and Labour TD for Louth Jed Nash in studio with us. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on LMFM. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch. Our phones are very busy today and our phone number is 0419832000. What's app or text 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Some of the comments coming to us. My son applied for his driving test last September. That's September 22 in Drogheda. He got a, an estimated date for September 23 to sit his driving test in Drogheda. What a joke. Now that the test centre in Drada has closed he's contacted Navin and he's got an appointment to sit his test in three weeks time thanks uh, indeed for that uh, as I said earlier on we can't ask the Road Safety Authority today uh, about the problem in Drada or the reason the rationale for closing the centre in Drada because they declined their invitation to do that today uh, but they've also said that they won't be available any day next week or in the future uh, to talk about it with us either which is really peculiar uh, somebody else uh, sending a link saying why is nobody talking about that uh, well because we don't know what's in the link never open a link is what I've always been taught uh, so uh, maybe you want to send us the story uh, somebody else in touch uh, saying uh, that uh, they just completed a major energy upgrade external and wall insulation this is John Casserly in Ashburn uh, and uh, thanks uh, for that the bear certificate Certificate issued uh, on November, in November 21 uh, following other energy saving improvements was B3. Today, following the very costly recent upgrade, my new bear rating is B3. A, a negative rating. Thanks uh, for sharing that with us, John. Uh, that may be food for thought uh, for people who are thinking of doing something similar. Uh, Francie says, Michael, can this country not just uh, have a day of demonstration? And I mean, bring the country to a halt for all the wrongs that are happening uh, and uh, it's crying out for too long. In my opinion, it should have happened in 2008 when uh, the disgraceful bank guarantee happened, which is never mentioned anymore now that the debts of bankers and speculators are, are on the head of every man, woman and child in the country. Absolutely disgraceful, says Francie in that WhatsApp message. And thank you indeed if you have been in touch, as I say. We'll come to more of the comments coming to us in the next hour of the programme. Michael Reed on LMFM. And the Gardaí have launched a social media campaign uh, this week warning people to be aware of sex torsion. Let's speak to Nolene Blackwell, CEO of uh, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. And a very good morning to you, Nolene, and thanks for, for joining us. Uh, this is the posting of explicit images of people on the internet. Yes, 
it, it is it's it's that and then it is demanding something in return so if you take the first letter out of sextortion you're left with extortion and that's what this campaign is about and it's very worthwhile uh, what the Gardaí are doing just explaining very plainly that sometimes people will uh, so for instance if children share images even consensually that's still not allowed in our law but if anyone shares an intimate image um, consensually and somebody else takes that which was given with consent and shares it more widely or threatens to share it more widely looking for something then that's extortion it's Mm. blackmail and when it is the sharing of sexual images it's being called sextortion but that's downright extortion and blackmail and I think what they're um, what they're doing now the Gardaí are seeing that very often people are reluctant to call this out uh, they they feel threatened when somebody says I will share this image unless you do something unless you give me more sexual favours unless you pay me money there can be a range of threats that people will do mm. uh, and in those cases the Gardaí are saying wait a minute this is criminal behaviour on the part of the person who's making that threat. We know it is. The Gardaí, we in the Rape Crisis Centre and on the helpline, we know because we hear from time to time how desperately uh, threatened people can feel by that kind of activity. Just threatening somebody is illegal. It's a crime and don't, do it. Just, don't, don't give in. And, and, and not, you're not saying posting it as a crime, which it is, uh, but just threatening to post images as a exactly. crime. Exactly. Threatening to post. And this is actually where a lot of the time bullies um, uh, and, and people with bad intent do actually get their way because they threaten to do something that, say for instance, reveal images to a person's family is one of the scenarios that the guards are coming up with on their social media campaign. Uh, saying that if you break up with me, I will share these images that you gave me consensually. Uh, unless you uh, go out with me again, I will share these images. These are all threats and they're all illegal. They're very harmful as well. I mean, I keep thinking like in some ways we have to know that these things are criminal behaviour. But just to understand that when somebody threatens to do this, they very often know the awful impact it can have on somebody, Mm. the way that they feel haunted, the way that they feel that they can't tell anyone, uh, the way that they feel uh, incorrectly that they've done something wrong. I was going to ask you, is it sexual abuse? Because it is a violation, isn't it? It is absolutely sexual abuse. That is that is exactly what it is. It's it is undoubtedly that it's a total violation, um, and it is that kind of it's that kind of thing that, uh, in some ways, somebody can do very secretly. Uh, it's online. Uh, this kind of behaviour. Uh, somebody is being told. That somebody knows something very private about somebody else, and they threaten to use that very private behaviour in terms of sexual images, uh, videos, whatever it is. They threaten to use that in a way that is harmful to somebody else. It's it's an awful thing to do. Um, and I think what's, what the Gardaí are trying to do in their campaign as well is just say, look, you're not the only one. Because one of the things that bullies and, uh, and, and extortioners and blackmailers can do online is get people to think this has never happened to anybody else. It's happening more often than people think. It's happening a lot more often than we would like or that anybody would like. Um, and it is something. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Something that is known and it is something that actually can be called out and you know we are going to have to stop people engaging in this kind of behaviour and that is going to take uh, people saying I, I feel threatened by this behaviour um, getting support to have it stop and where necessary getting it reported to the Gardaí and getting someone prosecuted and convicted for doing these awful things. Okay and reporting uh, obviously uh, making news today, uh, there's been more reports of sexual assault, more reports of rape, more reports of child sexual abuse material, uh, according to the latest crime statistics yes. from Angarda Shia But they're saying that it's quite possibly because more people are reporting. Would you uh, yes. imagine that to be true? Yeah, so it's very hard to know because we have so little objective data out there in relation to sort of what what the real percentage of uh, people who are suffering sexual abuse, uh, including rape. Uh, so there's very little objective data out there. So the guards are only depending on their own. Every single year, since 2015, their figures have been going up every year, except one year during covid in terms of sexual offences and exactly that. Uh, Maybe there is an increase in the level of sexual offences but maybe more people are reporting and the other thing the guards are noting and this we have to give them credit for is that they're taking better care with what they're hearing as well. So sometimes they are now, their reporting uh, procedures have improved so they are catching where there is a sexual offence happening um, more um, more readily now. So it's a combination of all of those. Uh, but I would say, Michael, we're only at the tip of the iceberg. Very, very few people still feel confident to report, want to report, because again, sexual offences are carried out by people who are known to the to the victim of those offences and they could be in their own family in their own friend group and it can be hard for people to actually uh, A, get the help that they want which mm. is far and away the most important thing and B, to recognise that actually you have to report some of these people as part of the process of reducing the incidence of sexual violence. The se- child sexual assault figures going up 
is likely also to be associated with uh, we're getting new revelations of people who have held very tragic, very painful stories to themselves for many years, very often, in terms of institutional abuse and are now recognising as well that this, this has harmed them uh, and, that, and that people have to be held to account. We're always very happy uh, to suggest that if uh, people wish to speak to somebody and get help, uh, that they contact uh, the Dublin Rape Crisis Helpline, which is one eight hundred seventy seven eighty eight eighty eight, because it provides a wonderful service. That's one eight hundred seventy seven eighty eight eighty eight. But can I ask you, Nolene, uh, when it comes to reporting sextortion, if it's a mere threat? What's the point in reporting it to the guards? I mean, that must be impossible to prove unless the guilty person admits to something that there is no proof of. So one of the um, one of the social media ads that the guards have up in part of their current campaign just shows the text messages, Michael, that pass between two people. Um, you know, one of them says something like, would you like your granny to see this video? Another one says, uh, unless you do something. So an awful lot of information is available on people's phones now very often. And you and and that's and the Gardaí were literally in one of their ads using a, a text conversation between two people that had actually taken place. Obviously, there was no revealing detail in it, but it was the kind of thing that they they could say. So there's two things. That's so that's one thing is there may very well be other evidence there uh, through people's social media accounts, for instance. The other thing is an awful lot of. Um, sexual offences depend very much on listening carefully to the person who was the victim of that offence to get the evidence because so many of these offences happen in private, in very intimate situations where where the, the victim, the victim's account is very important in identifying where the crime was. So I think the guards have also been doing more of what we have been doing on the helpline for many, many years, saying we are not going to judge you. We are not going to disbelieve you. We recognise that these things happen. We realise that it can be very hard for somebody to even speak to themselves about what has happened, let alone to somebody else. But that if you are in a situation where that happened, the guards are now being trained to understand how to hear that evidence better. And and this is going to always be really important where sexual crime happens, that people recognise that there is a better understanding in the Gardaí than there was, that they 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 are prepared to hear and listen carefully to evidence where somebody brings it up. And okay, there may be cases where there won't be enough evidence to prosecute, but there may be, there may very well be, and indeed there is, because these cases are getting prosecuted. So it's, and it's quite recent, but of course the law, um, threatening to uh, reveal these images is quite new as well. So we don't have a a huge history of it, but there is that recognition that they took, if I say, I don't know, about 80 or 90 cases uh, in, I think, 2021, and they're prosecuting 50 or 60 of them. So people are 
being able to come forward, talk about the threats, talk about mm. the uh, the situations in which they found themselves and evidence can be collected from a variety of ways and our police force is getting better at doing this and is now mm. actually getting to the stage where people are being prosecuted for this kind of threatening behaviour. Just expand a, a, on what you said a, a moment ago, Nolene. You said if people call the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre helpline, which is free and open 24 hours a day, we won't disbelieve them. Uh, if somebody is listening to us now and they've been violated, if uh, they've been the victim of uh, sexual crime and nobody believes them or they feel nobody would believe them. Mm. Are you saying that if they call the helpline that they will be believed? When when people call the helpline we absolutely respect and understand that almost, we get we get a small number of prank calls every year but for the most part of the 14 thousand odd contacts we absolutely respect and understand that that nobody picks up and phones that number unless they have an account and a hurt and a harm that they need to talk about they will be believed they will be understood they will be helped along the way they will be supported in saying in 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 telling their truth and there is uh, and that that's an assurance we give people. We won't be passing that on to any guard or something. That's not the way the helpline works. But it may very well be that, that it may be the first time that someone is able to tell their story without feeling they're not being believed. And Michael, the, fir- the very first step is that people actually self-censor ever before they pick up that helpline. People say exactly what you said there. They, they feel they won't be believed. They feel that people will, will judge them in some way or another. So very often people make their own, they, they make a, a, a sense, they censor themselves ever before anyone else does. But that's why the helpline has, has survived through the 40 odd years uh, that it has been there is because it is a way for people to actually and get their account understood. What they do with it later is a matter for them and we'll support them there as well and the helpline will support them wherever they are in the country. We run it, but we run a national service. It is for anyone. It is also, say for instance, a parent who discovers that uh, somebody, that their child, even their adult child, is being threatened in this way uh, or or a teacher or something who doesn't quite know what to do next. It's there as well for everybody to just... People don't don't abuse the helpline except, as I say, for a tiny number of um, abusive calls that we might get or prank calls. Okay. So we absolutely understand the need for that safe space. Very often you can't even think about it yourself and it is the talking to somebody for the first time, or maybe the tenth time actually, the talking to somebody who is just there, not making any judgment, just there to support somebody as they as they go on that journey of understanding that it's not their fault if they're abused, it's not their fault if they're threatened, it's not their fault if they put their trust in somebody who turns out not to be trustworthy along the way. And with any luck and with any, you know, fair wind, we we believe that we are able to give people that 
I don't know, just that sense of recognition that it is not them and that they are not alone and maybe that's the best thing we can do for people. We should probably give out the phone number uh, and you can call this number if you want to speak to somebody that you can trust somebody who can help and indeed uh, somebody who will believe you 1-800-77-8888 the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre helpline is free it's open 24 hours a day 1-800-77-8888 Nolan, thanks as always for joining us today Nolan Blackwell CEO of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, David Freeman has been mourning uh, the death of his wife, Linda Connell, who died uh, in 2020. She was just 41 years of age uh, and uh, the inquest has uh, returned a verdict of medical misadventure. Let's uh, speak uh, to uh, the family's solicitor, Neve Nimuraku, who's uh, the joint managing partner with Kalantanzi Solicitors. Uh, representing the family, as I say. Good morning to you, Eve, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. Good this, morning, Michael. Th- th- this is an extremely tragic case. Tell us what happened to Linda. Oh, this is a, this is a very, very sad and tragic case. Um, uh, David Freeman's wife, Linda, went in for a very um, routine day procedure and um, the removal of a cyst um, at Our Lady's Hospital in Navan. Um, she felt that everything had gone okay. There had been no um, difficulties. She felt she had recovered well and she left and went home that day um, feeling that, you know, things were fine. She obviously was, you know, recovering from any kind of a gynecological procedure, but um, she had never expected the events which unfolded subsequently. So thereafter, she began to feel a bit nauseous and unwell, and she presented again at um, Our Lady's Hospital in Navan. Um, she was eventually diagnosed with a very rare uh, blood clotting disorder, TMA, but it, it, it took a while for the diagnosis to happen, but there's no criticism whatsoever of, of that today because it is an extremely rare disorder. Um, she was eventually transferred to Beaumont Hospital um, where she subsequently um, passed away um, just so unexpectedly and obviously the family are completely devastated and they couldn't um, understand she had gone in for a routine day procedure um, and you know, passed away five days later. So it was extremely traumatic and upsetting under any circumstances. Mm. Um, so eventually, then obviously when an unexpected death like that happens, an inquest is held and you can appreciate um, the, the timing of this March 2020, we all recall, we we're just going into lockdown. So what was a horrific ordeal by any standards was made all the worse for the two years of lockdown, which the, you know, the family had and their grieving process of it during. So it was very, very difficult. OK. And uh, has the inquest given David uh, and uh, the wider family the answers that they've been looking for? Because uh, it, it must have been uh, very hard to take in the news that after such uh, simple day procedure like this, uh, that David lost his wife five days later. Has it been explained to him? Well, I mean, the fact the inquest process has been extremely um, helpful to David and the wider family. Um, 
he felt that Linda's after th- almost three years were just short of three years away from the anniversary of Linda's death he felt that finally her voice was heard and there was questions were answered um, you know it, it transpired during the process of the inquest what we, we had known that there was a, a product that was used endoclot adhesive had been used um, during uh, Linda's procedure and this this product was contraindicated for um, the type of surgery. It was specifically um, to be used only in gastrointestinal GI tract surgeries for the reason being that this product can never be eliminated from the body or absorbed and the only way that this body, this um, particular product could evacuate was through the stool. So it was completely on, um, it was contraindicated for use in the type of surgery that Linda um, had. Um, and it, however, there, it, 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 Linda's blood condition was so rare and so um, unusual and she had none of the underlying um, conditions which would have predisposed her to having this. So it was a complete mystery to the medics and to everybody, even in you know, in Beaumont Hospital, a specialised unit, mm. to understand how this came to be that this lady you know, had suffered from this particular um, disorder. However, um, I think either 15 or 18 months um, later, it transpired another lady going undergoing a similar sp- procedure in the same hospital um, presented with the same symptoms. And uh, fortunately for that family, this lady um, d- didn't suffer the, the t- terrible consequences that um, Linda did and that she she's, she survived. However, they, th- this was the only time that this was the, the only link between the two events was the use of this product, which was contraindicated. What, what, so, what does that mean? I'm sorry, uh, when you say contraindicated. It, 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 the product was, was specifically not for use in, in the type of surgery that in this gynecological procedure that, that it was used in. It means that it, w- it was never an appropriate product licensed for this particular type of surgery because of the makeup of this product. It could never be absorbed. Some products can be absorbed absorbed um, in the body this couldn't be this couldn't be eliminated other than through the stool which meant it was appropriate for sur- for surgery in the GI tract but no other type of surgeries um, so that, that seems to be the only link and that is what the, the you know the coroner's verdict in her verdict for medical um, misadventure she uh, said that it was impossible to you know eliminate the, the temporal link the time of the timing of Linda's procedure and her subsequent death and the only link between the two separate incidents was the use of this particular product and yeah. that was it, it shouldn't have been used and then the hospital um, that. that must be very very difficult for David and indeed David and Linda's young son Joshua to accept I mean Joshua was only 14 um, when this happened uh, when he lost his mother he's an only child um, and you know yesterday David was he he was he was very relieved at the verdict but he did turn to me and he said to me but, you know she'd be here today only for that um, and it is just so difficult for them to get to get their heads. Our forty-one-year-old healthy woman um, goes in for a procedure, a routine mm-hmm. procedure that so many of us go go through, and um, to end up five days later having lost her life. It's very difficult to come to terms with. And uh, you know the statement that David read out um, mm-hmm. yesterday at the inquest. There was hardly a dry eye in the, uh, at the inquest in the okay. coroner's court because it was would, would so you heartfelt. Ca- would you care to read some of that for us, Neve? Um, the the. I, I have I have uh, it here in front of me. I can read it if you like. Um, yeah. par- that paragraph that you, I take it from. I, I can statement. read it. I can say that. Yeah, please do. Um, 
the... Uh, d- uh, this is on behalf of uh, David Freeman, who lost his wife, Linda Connell. At the age of 41, she went in for uh, this simple gynecological procedure to have an ovarian cyst removed on the 6th of March 2020. She died five days later uh, on the 11th of March. The procedure was carried out in Our Lady's Hospital in Navan and uh, Linda was subsequently taken to Beaumont Hospital where she passed away because it seems that a product which was contraindicated for this procedure was used in the procedure and that means that that is a product that shouldn't have been used for this procedure. Uh, and this is part of uh, the statement that you're going to read, Neve, now on behalf of David the, Freeman. Um, the statement from David. Do you want me to read the entire statement? Okay, please. If, the, if you have it there, yes. And, uh, Open it up. Um, the, um, the impact of losing my darling wife, Linda, so tragically has had such a devastating impact on myself, her son Joshua and her parents, Philip and Breda. Linda was a much-loved wife, mother and only child. Linda and I were teenage sweethearts who reconnected in our adult lives. Linda was my soulmate, my best friend and my wife of only four years. However, we had lived together for many years before we married. Our married life together was just beginning and a bright future lay ahead. We had a happy home and I was and continue to be a dedicated, loving stepfather to Joshua. We loved our life together. Linda was mine and Joshua's world. She was my reason for everything. Losing Linda has left me utterly heartbroken. Joshua is the only reason I'm still here. I made a promise to Linda with our last words that I would look after Joshua and that is what I've done for the last almost three years. Linda was about to graduate from UCD in the field of childhood drug and alcohol abuse. She was a consummate professional in everything she did and was extremely dedicated to her clients, the foster children in the the Leinster region. Linda's passing is a huge loss to all the children she has worked with and whose lives she would have impacted so positively. Two of the years since Linda's death were spent during the COVID lockdown. It was impossible to access face-to-face counselling or any help during this time. I have no doubt but that this has had a profound impact on my mental health. I I now suffer with complex PTSD and nervous shock. I'm living a daily nightmare and has affected my ability to work, drive and live any sort of normal life. I can't even begin to countenance the effect this trauma has had on Joshua. I've no doubt but that Joshua is suppressing a lot of his emotions out of his deep concern for me and my grief. I know that he worries about me as I do him. As he matures, he will have to go through an adult's grief and I'm fearful of the fallout. My hope is that he will find the strength and professional support to cope with this devastating loss and I will do everything in my power to help him. The life we enjoyed together as a family has been destroyed. Our days are now a nightmare. I can't see how I can ever recover or move on with my life. My wife underwent a simple gynecological procedure and ended up losing her life. I stand here today to be a voice for my darling wife, Linda, and to try and get some answers for her, her son, Joshua, and her adoring parents, family and friends. I'm firmly of the belief that Linda deserves so much better. So that was his statement. Well, um, I, I think that pays uh, a fitting tribute uh, to Linda in terms of uh, the conversation on uh, the radio this morning. Thank you uh, for sharing David's uh, statement with us, uh, Neve, and uh, telling us uh, about that tragedy. 
uh, and uh, for joining us on the programme today. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you indeed. Uh, that is uh, the story of Linda Connell from Tremon County Meath who passed away on the 11th of March. Uh, you've just heard uh, her husband, uh, David Freeman's statement, his uh, statement uh, to the coroner's court uh, and uh, indeed on behalf of himself and uh, Joshua. Uh, that statement, uh, I think, very poignant. Uh, and our thanks to Neve Nimurku, who is uh, the joint managing partner with Callan Tanzi Solicitors, representing the family. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Dáil debated uh, motion on health services which was brought forward by the regional group uh, this week. Uh, An independent TD for Louth and East Meath. Peter Fitzpatrick is a member of uh, that group uh, and joins us now. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed. A very detailed motion that was brought to the Dáil this week uh, which looked at at the treatment that patients get uh, but before they go to hospital uh, and uh, that there would be training available for staff in schools and childcare facilities uh, as well uh, as uh, the recognition of paramedics in this country. Yeah, Michael, first of all, thanks for having me on your programme this morning. Uh, it was a very detailed uh, motion uh, and, and I was delighted to be part of the regional group. Uh, the government over the last number of years has encouraged people to act fast when an accident happens at home or anywhere and for that reason, Michael, over the last number of years, uh, the ambulance service uh, has increased. Like, for example, in 2022, there was over uh, 300,000 ambulance calls. And the alarming thing, Michael, was back in November and December, and in January, there was nearly 1,865 calls a day, an increase of 19%. And I'm in mean, your program, Michael, for the last 10 or 11 years, and I've always talked about the closure of an accident in an emergency hospital, and it's, it's only now that people are starting to realise now that these, 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 these smaller hospitals have done a fantastic job. Mm. And I keep going back to 2010 when they closed the Lake County Hospital. And to me, I was a big shambles. And now, you know, you can see yourself what, what's happening. Like the, the, the paramedics, Michael, is a, there's 2,000 at the moment employed by the HSE. They're the biggest employer. Mm. And the HSE won't accept them as a profession, which is totally nothing wrong. At and the moment, you were talking about a, a local businessman who had a, a, a heart attack in Dundalk. Oh, Michael, I, I could, I, I'm sure I could tell you the stories. I'm sure you can tell the stories. Like a, a man got a heart attack in the dark, lying the ambulance. And to be honest, and I said there's a lot of people listening to your program this morning, only for the likes of the, the paramedics that arrived in the ambulance to save them because every second counts, whether, whether it's a heart attack or whether it's, whether it's a stroke, they're mm. doing an absolutely fantastic job there at the moment. Is. And the problem we have at the moment is, since 2019, uh, the numbers have really dropped in. I know 2,000 uh, paramedics might send a lot of... A lot of uh, a lot of people, but in the National Ambulance Service, uh, they, uh, they, they've got advanced paramedics, they've got supervision, they've, they've got, you know, they've got emergency call takers, they've got uh, physical notices. Like, it, 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 it's made up of even uh, people take telephone calls. Yeah. But, the, but, but the numbers are gone away then, and the sooner the HSE realise that, that it should be a profession, because you do go to college, you do mm. study for three years and everything else, and I, I don't see any reason why they should be up there with the likes of the nurses and that there at the moment. They do an absolutely fantastic job there at the moment. Mm. I don't know, Michael, were you having an accident or not, Michael? I was in an accident there about 30 years ago. I don't remember what happened at all. I just remember waking up in the hospital and I, my wife was saying at the time, it wasn't a fantastic that the Annans came along, the paramedic, he, he calmed mm. her down, he cooled everybody down, like, like whether you have a heart condition, and these people are properly trained, but they're looking for more training, and especially when it's just children involved in that there. Like, like a paramedic, like, like, they're doing an absolutely fantastic job. I can't emphasize enough, Mike, the, the most that they do there at the moment is, 
and even the first response there, like mm. if you go down the motorway, you see all these cars, these, these cars sitting along the side of the road. These are people. Well, you know, I'm not saying waiting for to happen, but it's, and it's, it's a matter of life and death. Uh, uh, you gave some very interesting statistics about after a heart attack, uh, for every minute that passes uh, before treatment, the chance of survival you said decreases by between seven and ten percent. Uh, with a, a stroke, what is it? Two million brain cells that are, are lost every minute. Like, people don't realise that, like, you know, like, uh, time does count. And as I said at the moment, is like, I, I was just taking that myself there recently. Is, it, 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 the health service, the amount of money that's been spent in the health services, and I just looked at them at the moment, and uh, Stephen Donnie said, that they, they give an extra 200 million to the National Ambulance Service back there in, uh, in, the, in the 2022 budget. I still maintain is where is the money being spent? It, 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 it doesn't seem to be any kind of improvement. And you look at yourself there, this population is getting a lot older. Mm. And the fact that people are living longer, which, which is absolutely fantastic. But people do, you hedge your wedge. Like, you know, for, for example, we should be giving a better head services. And I do maintain we should have a lot more local health care centres, for example, and, at the moment. And, and you and want you know, the Loud County Hospital reopened. What, what, what's made you change your mind? Michael, I never, Michael, from day one in 2011, I, I was a Fianna Gael uh, TD at the time. And Michael, I always said, Michael, that the Light Hospital should be open. Like, at, at the time. Oh, yeah, I, but you, you said it was open and, and it hadn't closed and that it was providing great services and that it was a fantastic hospital and that uh, the reconfiguration of services was the right approach. You supported the move to take services out of the Louth County and to put other services in. But when you say reopen it, I take it you mean that there should be uh, an emergency department uh, that. Uh, Acute patients should be taken to the hospital and treated there in the same way that they're taken to the Lourdes. Michael, as you know, Michael, the Light Hospital was downgraded from an A&E to a minor injury unit in 2010. I became a TD in 2011, and I've advocated for the Light County Hospital to be open. Now, I will, I will say one thing, Michael: the Light County Hospital has never been as busy. It's got fantastic facilities, but there's an awful lot more that the Light County Hospital can do. And I, I think, Michael, the reason the emergency at the moment is, and I do think it's the right time. And I do maintain that was the wrong time. That was the wrong thing to do to close the hospital in 2010. But uh, but uh, and I'm telling you that Michael is like there's a lot of people Michael at the moment. Is, but just the football season coming in late, a lot of sports season coming at the moment. And what's going to happen? People are going to break arms and break legs and everything at the moment. And there's no need for them to go up to the Lewis Hospital, Michael. They can go to the Lowe County Hospital at the moment. Is uh, as I said to you before, is we, if we open a lot more local healthcare centres, it means that people can go in, they can get scans. They can get, they can get, they can get a drip. There's all different things you can mm. do in, in a look. But the Light County Hospital, they have the facility to do that, Michael. But you want this, really, you want the services that were there to be restored. Michael, it, it, it's a it's a no-brainer. Like I've spoken to Minister Donnelly over the last number of months, last number of years, and everything else. And I think the Light County Hospital is located in an absolutely fantastic position. Mm. Like but you, you defend, as a Fine Gael TD, you defended uh, the position that uh, the acute services were in Drogheda. Well, Michael, if you go back, Michael, from, from 2011, I, I've always said, like, from day one, Michael, and as I said, at, at the time, I got James Riley down, I didn't leave, leave Iraq at the end of the time, and, and, and I am up with Stephen Donnie. I've worked with every minister there, and I have never, ever once said to anyone that the Light Hospital, first of all, it should never close. It didn't close in my mm. time. I did push Michael for years and years to get as many services back as I could. And, and, and one thing you don't do, you, you don't close the door. You always try to open the door. I've always worked... Tirelessly, tirelessly with the ministers to try to get as many services as you can. 
like Cuddy Hoffman, it is busy now as it ever been. Yeah. But Michael, Michael, but it's but you, but, but, but you think Davin's emergency department should close, don't you? No, Michael. Michael well, I, 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 I thought you Michael. said that, that it should close in the same way that it closed in Dundalk and that you're getting a better service in Drogheda. Michael, if you look, Michael, I was one of the first, Michael, to, to, in the dawn to say that the lawyers, sorry, the, the, the hospital in Navin should not close. Michael, I don't believe it, it, it's for anybody's good to close. Okay. And you doing great in A&E, Michael, it's very, very hard to get yeah. it back up again. Okay, my, my memory is failing me, that, and I should no. apologise to you, but that's the way I no, remember no, no, it. Michael, Sorry, yeah. Michael, yeah, yeah. Listen, but what I'm trying to say, Michael, is uh, nobody ever wants to see a hospital doing great, Michael. But, Michael, if you go back, Michael, I did say that, Michael, is, uh, if the services are not available in Navin Hospital, Michael, and they're available in, 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 in Florida, I know, for example, is if I got sick and I lived over in Navin, right, and the facilities were not there for me to get to get seen in Navin Hospital, I would rather go to the, the draw the hospital. Mm. People want to go to the hospitals that the service is available, Michael. Mm. But I never said that. I, I, Michael, there's nobody and would want to see any downgrade. And my, my biggest fear is what happened to Lloyd County Hospital is going to happen to Navin Hospital. I have to say and I, that the people in the area and the TDs and everything have done a fantastic job to keep the hospital services up and running. And I always give my support to the people in Navin. And it's just a shame that the government at the time, and it would be nice over the next number of years, if, if the light hospital could be, could be upgraded to an A&E again. Michael, as I said, the population is increasing the whole time. They're talking about increasing the number of TDs in the doll mm. and everything else. So, so and, and if you look at Lloyd and you've got the dog, you've drawn it to the biggest towns in the country, like the population is really increasing. And, and I do believe, Michael, and listen to the room at the moment, is that the health service in the north is not going pretty well. And I don't think it'll be too long before you see people coming from the border, coming up to the to Jordan. And, and, and so I think it's probably a good time to have a look at the situation of reopening the, the, the full services that we had back in 2010 with Lyle County Hospital. OK, I have to leave it there, but thanks, as always, for joining us uh, this morning. Independent TD for Louth and East Mead, Peter Fitzpatrick. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, uh, this uh, Sunday, uh, there's to be a Stand With Ukraine event, which will take place in Drogheda at St. Peter's Church. It'll take place at 12 noon. Uh, to tell us a, a little bit more about this, we're joined once again by Carrie McIntyre, who's a uh, local listener to the programme and uh, has been part of the organising team for this uh, event on Sunday. What, what, what's inspired this, Carrie? Well, Number one, it's the year anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And we feel that it's important to mark that for the refugee community that is here. Um, And number two, um, it's also the year anniversary of when Drada stood in solidarity at the initial uh, date of invasion. Mm. So on March 5th of last year. We, we had a massive solidarity rally here in Drada. Mm. So we wanted to continue that tradition. Yeah. You know, and we also wanted to give people an opportunity to show that they do support and welcome mm. the refugees that are here. Yeah. Um, and to help the refugee community feel at ease mm. and, and know that this is a place of safety. Yeah, that they're welcome. Yes. Uh, they're seeking international protection and they've come to the right place. Yes, absolutely. And we are privileged to be able to be as safe as we are and to share our safety with people that need it. So we're there in solidarity with them. And also, you know, there's been some angry people showing up in town trying to stir up trouble mm. and uh, it's not wanted. 
And this is an opportunity for people that don't agree with that to show that they don't speak for me. They don't speak for Drada. They don't speak for the whole town. Um, And, you know, the Irish and the community here in Drada are a welcoming people. Mm. And uh, we really, you know, safety is something and security is something that we enjoy here. And like I said, we're very privileged to be able to share it. Yeah, well, we're privileged to have it. Uh, yeah. I mean, when you see the scenes of uh, destruction on television, death and destruction uh, on a, a daily basis and the thousands of lives that have been lost on both sides of uh, this dispute, you really do feel privileged to, to live uh, somewhere as safe as this. And it is, I suppose, our privilege to be able to welcome people uh, who are fleeing from uh, those uh, events. But as you say, there is this element um, uh, who's been stirring up trouble and trying to sound like they have a a big voice, a small voice that sounds like it has a a big voice and turning up uh, in towns like Drogheda from elsewhere. Uh, And we were hearing about some of them on the internet yesterday from outside of Termin Fekin. Uh, terrorising the mayor of uh, Drogheda, Michelle mm. Hall, and mm-hmm. uh, the abuse that she's been subjected to, really, I'm not sure that any person with any sense of decency would... Well, they don't like women. Yeah. They don't like women in power. Mm. They don't like women expressing their opinions. Mm. Um, and it's they're the wizard behind the curtain. Mm. You know, they're, they're, like you say, the little people with the big voice. And when you pull the curtain back, you see it's a lot of really lonely, misguided, misguided mm. people that are looking to fill their lives with something and they found hate and they found anger and their ego gets stroked by it. But it's really important to... Have have you encountered them online or elsewhere? Because uh, you've been pretty active. Yeah, I I have a long history with trolls online. And the Mm. best thing that you can do is Mm. just ignore them and recognize them for what they are, which Mm. is just trolls. Because you came in to speak to us uh, some time ago and I I was wondering uh, if uh, there'd been a negative reaction to that. No, actually, okay. quite a positive reaction. Okay, good, I, yeah. I've mm. got a lot of people that were glad to hear uh, what we were talking about and mm. the stance that has been taken. You know, um, it's really important to to stand up and say, you know, this mm. this isn't right. Yeah. And it's, you know, yes, there's a lot of things to be angry about mm. in every country that you live in, how the political mm. system works, but in this case specifically targeting vulnerable people Mm. is not the answer and it's not an either or situation right Mm. the refugees coming here because they have nothing because there are they're under threat because their lives have been destroyed and we have safety and security here that we can share it's not a binary choice that we can't help our own if we don't help the people that desperately need it. Mm. We can help everybody. And we're going to get through the crises that we're living through right now. We Mm. got through the pandemic. We've gotten through worse before. We got through 30 years of conflict up north. We have a terrible situation. Uh, And I mean, uh, it uh, it is an almost impossible situation uh, to deal with so many people coming into the country. And you can understand why people are concerned. And we're already seeing... Uh, that it is impossible to some degree because we've over 200 uh, people seeking asylum in this country sleeping on the streets. Yes. But there's wonderful news today, uh, or there will be, I think, when uh, the Cabinet uh, signs off on tens of millions, they say, which will provide accommodation for refugees. And this is great. Why would be? Why would you choose to be mean and miserable and begrudging about that when you can be proud mm. of what Ireland is doing mm. and proud of the fact that we have a country that is so stable and secure that people 
can come here for respite mm. and to, to get their head together and figure out how am I going to go forward with my life now that I have nothing mm. and that you can be the person and the nation that says we can help. Mm. Speaking of uh, the scenes of death and destruction on our televisions every night uh, from Ukraine, uh, did you see the protest in Navin where a group of women and children fled Ukraine uh, to come to uh, an old B&B in Navin two days after they'd arrived in the country only to be met by a, a mob of hooligans shouting obscenities at them. Why would you do that? Mm. Oh, what kind of person would you be? Why would you choose to mm. be that way? Well, there probably are people uh, with mental health problems uh, who need psychological uh, treatment and that sort of thing. Maybe. Mm-hmm. They may be. And we can excuse it. But at the bottom line, there's a word that I use in America uh, that I don't think I can say on radio, but it just basically you're a bad person. Why would you do that? Mm. Why? You have the choice to be kind. You have the choice to be helpful. You have the choice to not say anything at all if you don't agree with it. And instead, you choose to be obnoxious and hateful mm. and angry and attack women and kids all because you want to protect your own Get over yourselves. That won't happen uh, on Sunday at St. Peter's Church, will it? No. 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 Uh, What's going to happen? So what's Mm. going to happen? It's just a short afternoon. Mm. You know, uh, we'll have a community gathering. There'll be music. Uh, There'll be a speaker from the Ukrainian community that'll come and talk about the experience of the community at large. Uh, It'll be an opportunity for people to just show their support and also show their opposition to the anger that's out there and say, no, we're a welcoming city, we're a welcoming town, and we're a welcoming nation, and we're a welcoming people, and we're glad to share what Mm. we have. Even if we don't have very much, we will share what we have. Mm. Okay, I know there was an awful lot of uh, young people at uh, one of uh, the rallies that you had. Are you expecting young people to turn up? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Young Mm. people, this generation's awesome. Young people get it, Mm. you know, and that's credit to their parents, too, also, Mm. us Gen X people (laughs) raising our kids to to Mm. be helpful and kind and to to look forward and have an outward-looking view towards the world. And Mm. also, the generation, the younger generation, a lot of their kids are the second generation of the immigrants that have been coming over the last Mm. 20 years who are also Irish, you know, so they're Mm. looking and they're seeing these are their friends and their friends' parents. Yeah, and they're now our neighbors and, and they're our neighbors yeah. and our relatives and you know they're part of our the fabric of our nation and it's okay. great yeah all right well maybe if you're going for a walk on sunday in drada you time Come it by. time it around yeah. uh, this which be at 12 o'clock yes yeah or decide to turn up at 12 o'clock uh, but uh, yeah. I, I think uh, yeah. the people from ukraine will appreciate uh, we hope what so you're doing. we hope so we want them and also the syrians the afghans the people that are from all over the world you know this hate does not represent the majority of this country, you mm. know, and we do like to share. We do like to be welcoming and we'll help you as much as we can. OK, thanks for that uh, and for coming into us, Carrie. Thank you, you very again. much for having me. Thanks indeed. Carrie McIntyre, local mother uh, who is uh, part of uh, the organising team. But, uh, but, but behind this solidarity vigil, you're calling it, uh, which is taking place at noon, 12 noon at St. Peter's Church, 
West Street in Drogheda if uh, you are out and about over the weekend uh, you may wish to attend. Uh, before we leave you just uh, one more comment about uh, the cost of electricity the bills are not the end of our fuel bill says one listener because we've solid fuel as well coal, logs, briquettes and so on as well as the electric heaters it's very expensive there's no doubt about it but that's where we leave you for today. Maggie McGuire Research, Chris Murray was in the control tower I'm Michael Godwilling, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.